Rogue Radio. Now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by Rogue Country. Rogue Country is probably the thing I'm most proud of being involved with outside of my own personal project. So outside of, you know, Mike West and Into the Van. Rogue Country is really what I'm super proud of being a part of and getting to work with and finding, you know, modern country artists and roots artists and blues and folk and murder folk and all those type of artists that don't get the mainstream recognition they deserve. As you probably know, mainstream country has had this battle since Hank Williams about authenticity and corporations and, you know, actually respecting artists and it's a whole big thing that even bleeds down into the smaller independent organizations and things it's a really crazy dramatic world if you become a part of it and if you choose to participate in that type of thing with rogue country and my own kind of outlook we like it's there's just no point to it they don't like you we don't like them we just crack on and consider ourselves separate rogue country is providing a platform to those artists we think that don't get the mainstream recognition they deserve and i include myself in that category so rogue country and rogue radio are doing phenomenal things for artists outside of the mainstream so if you like my type of stuff proper traditional country folk murder folk any type of roots music you can think of that isn't mainstream it's catered for on rogue country and it's such a positive inclusive atmosphere i'm so proud of it so go check that out as always today's episode is brought to you by the next life the next life is my debut record that i'm super fucking proud of it's nine tracks long it lasts for 33 minutes and 30 seconds and i'm gonna drop a track in for you now just so you can hear what it's like overwhelming that as a new artist i've only been doing this for four years to be doing this and to get this reception on my first record is truly humbling and you know when you write a song you don't know what people are going to react to and when you record an album you know that are people going to react to this collection of songs and it's a really terrifying ordeal so the response has been absolutely mind-blowing to segue into today's guest bella white I heard her album Just Like Leaving the other month and it's fucking phenomenal. A bluegrass country album that is just so steeped in tradition and respect of what country music and what bluegrass music is while, you know, Belle is only 20 years old and her insight and knowledge into these genres is truly breathtaking. And we had such a fun chat talking about, you know, her upbringing from her father who's from virginia she's canadian so she has this kind of you know perspective from traveling through canada and then to boston and nashville that is really unique to bella and her music and it shines through and just like leaving is such a phenomenal record when i heard it i knew i had to sit down and you know have a chat with bella about her songwriting process and working with other people to bring in different instruments for the record and touring obviously touring's out the window with 
the pandemic at the moment but we talk about prior to that plans for the future and it's just an all-around great chat so i don't want to keep you here too long when we could be having a fun conversation instead so without further ado this is into the van episode 19 with mike west and bella white welcome to into the van with me mike west Okay, so we're rolling and thanks so much for joining us, like I just said. Um, I was reading your bio before and you're Canadian. Yes. Yeah, and have you, like, where are you based now? Is it Nashville? Yeah, I'm in Nashville right now. And what was the move, like, how long have you been over in the States for? Well, I started, so I moved first before moving to Nashville. I lived in Boston for Hmm. a little bit over a year. And I did, I guess I moved to Boston, like... Um, late summer of 2019 Mm. or maybe was it 2018 I can't even remember I guess it was 2019 (laughs) all of the years are like (laughs) congealed right now Um, and then yeah so I spent a year in uh, just over a year in Boston and then I've I've actually only been in Nashville for a few months now really June but I'd spent a lot of time here before like the pandemic just Mm. coming and playing shows and hanging out um so it already kind of felt like home but yeah yeah, i've just been here for a little bit awesome and was the move for your music to get a better reach or was it like personal reasons or was it just to you know nashville's obviously the home of country music was that the reason behind the move um it was like a little bit of both i definitely wanted to be here just because there's so much like exposure to good Mm. music here and great musicians and the community is really rich here so it's like a special place to be making music mm. but also it's just like yeah like on top of it from a career aspect I just have a lot of friends down here and yeah it's like it's just a special place for making music I feel like yeah also and what was the scene like in Boston did you play shows there and stuff because you don't really or at least as a like British person there's no real music scene that I'm aware of coming from Boston there's a comedy scene that I've been yeah. aware of but yeah, the Boston scene is interesting because there it's like I feel like it's this sort of hidden gem in a way. Like mm. there's Berkeley, the music school there, which has like for the kind of music that I play, like kind of country bluegrass music, there, there there's like an American roots program. So there's a lot of like really great kind of like blanket statement roots musicians mm. coming out of Boston. And so I kind of like had like two of the uh, well two of the people that played on my record, Reed Stats, who played mandolin, and mm. Julian Pinelli, who played fiddle, I met them through, like, the Boston scene. And then Patrick McGonigal, who produced my record, also was living in Boston at the time. And, like, but yeah, Boston just has this kind of contingency of, like, really great roots musicians because they've all kind of graduated through the Berkeley program. Mm. So, yeah, there's definitely, like, a scene there. It's just, I feel like a lot of people don't know about it. It's kind of hidden or something yeah, well that's what i wanted to as like talk to you about was as a canadian obviously country music and you know roots music has that kind of you know archetype and stereotype of being the south it's tennessee it's nashville but with acts like yourself and call to wall dead south there is this canadian you know mm-hmm. movement happening and it's the same here in the uk where there's this like underground current of like modern roots music that pays homage to traditional stuff but it's still weird to like you you still don't expect it to be there especially you don't expect it to be in boston you don't expect it to be in canada you don't expect it to be in the uk yeah it's a really weird thing do you keep up to date with like modern musicians coming out now and from different scenes and countries yeah i try to like keep up with it just because it's like i'm a kind of a case study of its own Mm. in that way like people are often surprised that i'm from canada and you know, there are people like Coulter and like these like great musicians coming out of Canada and coming out of the UK too. And so it's like, yeah, I try and kind of like keep my my foot in the water of like being aware of who's coming out and making music and playing because it is really easy to just like pigeonhole the scene as like being the South. Mm. And that's just not true. Like maybe at a time it was true, but yeah. Mm. And growing up, what were your like influences and what were you listening to, you know, that yeah. like in your formative songwriting years? Yeah, well, I feel like for one, my dad is was in a bluegrass band my whole really? childhood. So awesome. he's actually from Virginia. 
originally and like met my mom and then moved to Canada. So I did like have this exposure to bluegrass music, like ever since I was a kid um, with him playing in a band and he was often just like, if he wasn't playing it himself, he was like playing bluegrass and country music around the house. And so I had kind of that direct exposure. And then there's also like um, a lot of country music and like cowboy music, if you will, Mm. that comes from Alberta where I'm from. And so there's like Ian Tyson. I don't know if you're familiar with his music, but he's like just kind of like a country singing Canadian legend. Um, And he was like from a town like 45 minutes from where I grew up. And so I was kind of exposed to all that stuff. And then on top of that, like I, I did my own kind of like dipping of my foot in the musical worlds. And I, I really drew a lot of influence from like Loretta Lynn and mm. Patsy Cline and just a lot of the kind of like honky tonk yeah. female singer songwriters. Cause I thought they were just like, and I still think that they're so cool and they were just like paving the way, you know? Mm. Yeah, no, Definitely. It's really interesting to like have those influences and things. And one of the things that I got from like your bio and stuff is it's you're kind of trying to create like a contemporary, you know, bluegrass sound and bring in like a younger audience because yourself, you're 20, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm 29, so there's not that much difference, but I still kind of wonder because the main demographic and audience of country and bluegrass is like an older um, generation. Have you found like younger people gravitating towards your music more or, or has that been like a present thing as you've, when you release this record? Hmm. I mean, I feel like with anything, like I remember it was always kind of funny because when I like first started playing shows, like the people in the audience were always much older than me. (laughs) And I always like found that to be kind of interesting. I was like, oh, this is weird. I'm like 15, 16 and I'm like playing for all of these like 50 year olds. Like this is kind of weird. Um, But yeah, definitely. I feel like as I've like put out music and kind of like gotten a bit, you know, more experience like touring and whatnot. I do feel like there's this kind of surge of young people that are finding country and bluegrass music and are appreciating it. And then there's also like artists like, you know, we've mentioned Coulter Wall and like Molly Tuttle and Mm. Billy Strings and all of these people that are like kind of doing a similar thing to what I'm trying to do, which is like make this traditional music really accessible for young people. Because like, I think a lot of times younger folks just don't really know where to start because it's such a, broad genre like there's mm. so much to be heard yeah like definitely i think it's really weird because i don't know if you've had this experience when i've been doing shows and i've been like in between songs or talking about like this song is about getting older and you hear like a six-year-old scoff it's like yeah. well just because i'm like 29 it doesn't mean i'm not aging it's just yeah, like, this right. is still like, my perspective six, it's still yeah you're six yeah yeah totally yeah it's like all very relative yeah mm. but with like this new resurgence it's like because i've been trying to wonder how to get quote-unquote young people to listen to this type of music and it seems that especially from a uk point there's not necessarily like a stigma but there is like an idea of what country is Mm, and it's there's a wave of people like yourself and there's all like the gems on vhs artists yeah kind of breaking that mold and i think this scene at the moment is it's really breaking what a conception of country music was. And there's artists like Nick Shoulders and Willie yeah. Carlisle who are putting like almost like academic level schools of thought into it. And it's a really interesting mold. So I'm looking forward to seeing where this is in like the next three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really exciting time for it all. I agree with you. Like the whole Gems on VHS thing is mm-hmm. so cool because it is like it, there's this big audience of like young people that want to consume this music. And then there's people, you know, like Sierra Farrell and mm-hmm. like they're like, yeah, definitely breaking the mold and making people like, especially young people kind of realize that it's not just like old people music. (laughs) (laughs) Have you found that with your music, have people been like surprised at how young you are or if it's like the other way where it's like people are surprised at your age that you're playing this type of music? I think it's definitely like a little bit of both. I often find that people are surprised when they find out that I'm 20 and I think it's it's that's more of like a kind of like immediate shock reaction. People are mm. like, what? How, what? And then they kind of get over it. And then I think part of the reason that they're surprised is like the latter of your question, which is like they don't expect young people to have like found this old music. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I would say people are usually kind of surprised. And, you know, getting started, when did you first pick up a guitar? Like how old were you? Well, having my dad like playing, Mm. he was like a banjo player and a guitar player. Um, 
And so I kind of like had it around all the time mm. and I would like pick it up and play it really badly <laughs> or like attempt to play it, but I never like put much effort into it. And then I would say maybe when I was about like 10 mm. was when I actually kind of like tried to learn it opposed to just like, you know, noodle around on it. I think, mm. yeah, maybe 10 or 11 was when I like started taking it a little bit more seriously. Oh, cool. Like, I think I started around 12. Maybe I think I bought my first guitar. But then how did you approach, like, did you do open mics and things? How did you come up on the scene and, you know, get like the playing in and start forming your own songwriting? Yeah, I definitely did a lot of open mics. I remember like going around and I was like really little. I would always be like the youngest person at the open mics. And I'd be like, I want to play a song. And so I'd go to open mics. And then I would also go to a lot of like there's this big culture here, um, like bluegrass festivals and like camps kind of and like workshops. And so I grew up also going like every summer to like lots of different kind of like bluegrass camps and festivals. And so I, you know, you would like do your lessons in the day and then um, in that evening, like everyone would just like kind of party and pick and play music and it was really fun. And so that was like really formative for me too because I got to be exposed to so many great musicians who like now are a lot of my closest friends, but at the time it was like, you know, I was just this like little baby that was like so excited <laughs> to play music. And then, yeah, just like jamming a lot, but open mics were really big for me too. And then I kind of started slowly playing my own shows and whatnot. Awesome. And with the album, Just Like Leaving, what's like the oldest track on that album? Like, do you remember which was like the one that you wrote first? Yeah, um, I think it was All I Gave To You that was the oldest track on the record. Um, I think I wrote that one like three years ago now, which is mm. kind of hard to believe, but yeah. Cool. And did you have like an EP or anything out before you went to this record or did you have any like studios or like anything recorded beforehand? Yeah, I, I, ha I made a record in 2016 that I actually never ended up releasing just because there was like a whole hiccup in the process. And then by the time it was ready to be released, it had been like, two years and mm. I just like felt like I'd grown a lot in that time and the music was no longer like representative of what I was doing so I didn't release it but I, I do have like this unreleased record of songs that I think it's still good I don't think I would I probably won't ever release it mm. um but yeah I had a little bit of like recording experience and studio time experience beforehand which was helpful mm. Cool. And like, what's your songwriting process like for the record? Say like on, I'm trying to think of a, a track and like on like Not To Blame, hmm. what was your process behind that song? Because I like to try and get into songwriters and how they tick, but asking them to just label their processes, you know, and yeah. such an open-ended question. But do you remember that track in particular? I do. I remember that one. That one was funny. I So that song is kind of like a a little bit sassy it's like a little bit of a you know hey you hurt my feelings I'm mad at you kind of song um and so with that one I remember it being like I feel like I have like two kind of approaches for songwriting mm. sometimes it's like this very like emotionally driven just like I need to like get out my feelings onto paper and then other times it's like a little bit more crafted and strategic and I like do some like kind of like tactics or strategies for it but not to blame was definitely just like a big emotional like regurgitation of thought onto paper and it kind of just like came about I was sitting on my friend's porch and I just like had a kind of like bad time with like a ex-boyfriend or whatever and like went over to her house and I had my guitar there and then I was just like I'm sorry I have to like try and write a song right now because I'm experiencing all of these emotions and I can't do anything and it's almost like debilitating for mm. me sometimes I like have to get it out while it's in my brain so that one was very much just like pen on paper write song um but a lot of the time like that's rare it's more it's more usually like I'll kind of set aside some time and like try and you know like actually like flesh out a song like a little bit more thoughtfully yeah that's a cool like not to blame it does sound like it's you know it is emotional it, you do get that connection like I kind of picture it as it was either a phone call or just like a confrontation because it's like your mama brought you up that way. Yeah. Where it's, yeah. Where it's like the worst thing you can do is be like, it's your mom's fault. Yeah, literally. Mom <laughs> yeah, that was definitely, it was definitely a very confrontational <laughs> time. Um, with that song and the record, obviously there's such gorgeous instrumentation on it. Was that done in rehearsal before the studio? And how did 
those like did you have an idea of the melodies or arrangements in your head first before you went to record hmm well so the people who played on the record I'd been touring with um kind of like a few months like prior to making the record um so we had like played all the songs a lot and Mm. so I try with my bandmates to like make it super collaborative because I want to like work their strengths and I want them to shine too. So usually if I like have a new song or something, I'll like bring it to them and we'll just kind of jam it for a little bit and like see how it feels. And I'll just kind of like let them come up with their ideas. And if I like really don't like something, I'll be like, hey, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like still my song, but you get creative freedom yeah. to an extent. Um, but it was like a lot of just like collaboration and we spent like, we spent like two days in the studio before we really recorded anything, just like kind of making everything really like cohesive and mm. like playing together and like getting into the groove of playing together again. Mm. Cool. But I try usually to like kind of let the, let the people do their thing. Mm. Awesome. And how long were you like touring like the record and the songs before, before you went into the studio? We toured for like two months ish sort of kind of on and off. I was like playing lots of shows just like in the States before and then was supposed to be like touring, you know, all summer after the record and like now on into the winter. But mm. obviously mm. that's not happening because yeah. of COVID. I know. Like it's such a absolute piss take. Like I released an album in August as well. And to yeah. not tour after you've released it, you just kind of like. No, you're just like, oh my God, what the hell? <laughs> well, so you were touring the States. Was that like a full tour of the States or where about did you hit? We kind of did like the whole like East Coast. Mm. So we would usually like, I mean, I was living in Boston at the time too. So I was doing a lot of like kind of like little small tours um, in like New England and like kind of almost, almost to Canada, but we never really made it to Canada. I did some like other little, it wasn't like for the album, but I did like a bit of touring in Canada earlier in the year. Um, But we would like, I think we started in, started in Boston and then we went down we finished in South Carolina so just kind of like made our way down the the east coast oh awesome and what were the crowds like what type of shows were you playing we're playing like a lot of just kind of like bars and like um some listening rooms and we had like some good gig like um, in Boston there's a really great venue called Club Passy and we played there and like I feel like um for my music like if I'm playing a show at a bar, I'll kind of like curate the set to be like mm. a little bit more rowdy and a little more kind of bluegrassy and like spanky, if you will. But um, when we, my favorite is like playing just like a nice listening room where people are like really there to hear it. Yeah. No, yeah, we had pretty good reception. I was like, I was happy with yeah. how it all went. Oh, good. No, I think it's so important to create set lists. Like I've done when I've been playing like pubs and bars, it's kind of like, I'll do a bit longer of an instrumental break. I'll, you know, I'll do like the hard and fast songs first to try and get people's attentions. And then yeah. if there's a little, but there's nothing better than like a listening room. That's like so attentive. You can hear a pin drop. And I don't know if it's because they're so rare as well. Especially yeah. Over in the UK that it's like, oh my God, they're actually listening to what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's always a little bit alarming at first. You're like, whoa, you're listening to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. I have to like, be, I have to be thoughtful about what I do now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But with like the tour and stuff, did you find those songs like grew a life of their own before you went into recording like from the initial writing and you know collaboration with the band like because I know when I was writing my record I recorded vocals in 2018 and then Mm. did a shit ton of shows and then was like I have to go in and re-record this whole thing yeah totally I feel like that happens for sure with like with my music like well the songs will like take on like five lives you know in the period of time like from when I write them to when they go and record them and I think it's partly just because like they're a story already and then they like almost like pick up more stories along the way you play them shows all the time and like yeah they just are constantly evolving like I feel like it's usually if I go back and listen to like the first little voice memo I make of a song in my phone to like the you know mastered track for the record it's like a different song almost Cool. And how long were you in the studio for to record the record? We were in the studio for like just under two weeks. I think like 10 days, maybe mm. 11 days. But it was pretty wild because we went in like March 7th was when we went in. And then we were in Vermont. The studio is called Guilford Sound and it's like in the woods in Vermont. Really beautiful and remote. 
kind of isolated, which was sort of funny because then COVID like happened mm. like halfway into the time that we were there, maybe less than like four days into the time that we were there, the borders closed and everything went crazy and like turned upside down. But we were just like already isolated in the woods. So we we're like, I guess we'll just see it through. Um, so, yeah. like, with the arrangements and stuff, and obviously you got the record done. Was there any like talk about like holding the record back till maybe after the pandemic? subsided or was it you always had this release date in your head to go for well we kind of like yeah i mean we definitely were gonna try and release it a little earlier than we did but just like with everything that was going on we were kind of it just seemed like too much or like not the right time but once we kind of picked that we were going to do it in the end of september we just kind of like stuck with that and we were like regardless of what happens we'll put it out mm. then oh, cool and like what's the reception been like because i know over here, this seems to be a trend of like you release an EP and that's kind of like just what you sell at gigs and things. And then it's not until you release like a full record that people kind of not necessarily take more notice of you, but that's the hill you definitely die on for the next like year yeah. or three. Has What's the reception been like from that? Has it been like, I, I assume it's been overwhelmingly positive because the record is fucking brilliant. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been, it's been really great. There's been some like kind of, yeah special things that have happened i feel really proud of it and i feel like it's been received better than i would have expected it to mm. be especially considering like the circumstances of the world right now i was kind of like oh god it's just gonna get like buried because there's so much happening and on top of that a lot of people are putting out music right now and so i was like kind of worried that yeah it was just gonna fall into i don't know the depths of all of the music that's mm. being released and all of the things that are happening, but no, it's been like a really positive reception. People seem to be really liking it, which is exciting for me. Yeah. Oh, good. And with like the bluegrass sound, was there anything in particular you were trying to aim for? Obviously you had like the mandolin and all the instruments on it. Was there like a particular sound that was like in your head, what you were trying to aspire to like a certain record or artist that you'd been influenced by to try and like, not necessarily emulate, but you wanted to try and get, you know? Yeah for sure there was definitely like a few a few things i was kind of like looking for one record that i really love it like is one of my all-time favorite records is the the grass is blue the dolly parton record mm. um and like i loved what she was doing because she was playing all these like country songs but with these bluegrass arrangements and i feel like that's sort of i write a lot of songs that kind of like lean in that direction so that record was really informative for the album and i was kind of like making sure that we were thinking about it a little bit and then also some of the like Stanley Brothers, like original, just like super old traditional mm. bluegrass with like the harmony singing is like really important to me. So I was making sure that we were kind of, you know, really paying homage to that. And also like Reed, who plays mandolin on the record and si does a lot of singing on the record too. He's like very into the whole traditional sound and it's like really important to him. So it was really nice. We would like stay up really late, just like working out the harmony parts and like making sure that they were, you know, bang on with like what the Stanley brothers were doing and whatnot. That's so, so cool with like the harmony is like, obviously you have to put some thoughts into it, but is it different to tr like to try and find that one person that will harmonize with you the best? Cause obviously how many people are in your band? There's four of us total, including myself. And how many of them sing back in all harmony with you as well? Um, just two of them. So mm. Julian and Reed are the ones singing on the record with me. Yeah, it's definitely like you have to be like selective about who's singing what parts just because like the blend is so important. And luckily we'd like all sang together a lot already because we'd been like touring and, you know, also all just like they're both singers as well. So we have like a lot of experience singing together. And I actually lived with Reed mm. before making the record too. So we would just like sing together all the time in our daily life. But yeah, I'm pretty like careful about, you know, because I the singing is like the most important part mm. to me no and like with the singing like did you ever take any like formal training on anything because i like i haven't at all and i remember like the first record i did as like a metal band was awful like the singing <laughs> on it's atrocious and it was just through like years of practice that i got slightly better but i know there's been certain people in like the country scene that i know that i've taken like vocal lessons and things was it just through like your own ear and just touring constantly that you found your sound 
Yeah, I would say so. I definitely did like, like I said, like I grew up going to a lot of those bluegrass mm. like workshops. And so I would, I took some like harmony singing classes when I was little, but that was more just like to sing. It wasn't as much of like a formal vocal lesson. I, I never really took voice lessons, but I just sang a lot and had a lot of people like, had a lot of people be like, hey, that sounds bad, do this instead. <laughs> and then I think like that kind of shit, I feel like, yeah, I learned from doing mm. opposed to, you know, from like a structured lesson or something. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like I've talked to people who say they can't sing. And I, I think a lot of it is people kind of forget that the voice is an instrument in itself and you have to, you know, try. It's a very baseline you need to try because a lot of people just kind of draw the way through things. Like my dad he can't he can't actually sing for shit like he'll try and like sing out like van halen's jamie's crying and just murder it but <laughs> yeah i like, love it just because it's the way he sings it but right. if people actually like put their mind to it and sing it opens up like a whole other thing and you just have to kind of like go for it in a way yeah for sure well people i feel like there are people feel also a lot of the times like embarrassed to sing mm. or something they're like they sing like as a joke or they'll like you know get drunk and go to the karaoke bar and like sing and but people don't, yeah, people don't like think of it as like a craft that you have to like mm. kind of like work on or like practice. They're just like, I should be able to sing because I have a voice. Like, and then yeah. they're like, why can't I sing? And it's like, well, because you've never practiced or yeah. you've never like tried. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's like shows like The Voice or American Idol or whatever, where people just appear and start singing, but people think it's like an inherent talent and it's just not. But it's yeah. a really interesting thing. And like, I kind of wish I took singing lessons and stuff like i went to university for music and choir mm. was compulsory and i mm. never i never went purely because i was like studying as a guitar player and the second someone tells me something's compulsory i'll never fucking do it in a You're million like, years <laughs> <laughs> not for me <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but with like the singing stuff you have a really like unique voice was that from do you think from canada and you know, Boston and Nashville and stuff, picking up with different like scenes and things and like the bluegrass camps. Yeah, I feel like it, my voice kind of, I used to like, definitely, my dad would describe it as like the American Idol voice, kind of like you said, like, you know, how everyone kind of sounds the same mm. on those shows. I definitely, when I was younger, was like trying to emulate like pop mm. singing for some reason. Cause I like, just like thought that's what people did. I thought that was what you're supposed to do, but it was funny because I like mostly listened to country and bluegrass music. So I like would try and sing like a pop singer, but I didn't even really know what that was supposed to sound like. Um, and then like, I kind of realized I was like, Oh, this sounds really bad. I should like sing just like how I want to sing or like what feels natural. And so I think it, I definitely like took a lot of influence from like the scene down here with like a lot of the country music and like the kind of ornaments that people sing with. And then also my dad, I think, had really big influence on my singing, too, because like, you know, he's from Virginia and sings like bluegrass and sings very like traditionally in the sense of like how like traditional bluegrass sounds. But I think I just sort of like picked up bits and pieces from everywhere that I went and then they all just kind of congealed. Oh, cool. And would you say that's the same thing with like your songwriting? Because it's contemporary, but it's not so contemporary. Like I was talking to a punk band a while ago. And they like directly reference like Instagram and things like that. And I'm not sure if I've ever heard a bluegrass song actually talk about, you know, like modern technology or things like that. Is it a hard line to walk as a songwriter in this genre to, you know, try and maintain that contemporary feel and modern vibe to it while, you know, trying to keep it traditional? Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, that's that's interesting that you say that because I've, I've actually not really thought about that before, but that's totally true. Like you never hear people really talking about like social media or like technology really in their songwriting. And I think it is true. Like, I mean, as much as I want it to seem modern and accessible, I also want my songs to like evoke a kind of old time me sounding mm. quality. So I think I do like really like reach for like the older things and like mm. older words almost if you will because yeah I, I guess it's just like this false sense of the past that everyone's kind of trying to like hold on to in their like bluegrass and country music that they're making no like i think that's true and it's an interesting wave i wonder when the first like bluegrass tiktok song will be <laughs> <laughs> oh god i hope never i hope it will never happen <laughs> No, or maybe it would be pretty entertaining. 
Well, it's it's a weird thing, and like social media and stuff's weird, and I don't think humans have really grappled with it or adopted it really. I, I read this thing, and I don't know if it's true, but it's definitely true from my end, where it was like, I've never in a dream seen my mobile phone. Yeah, that's so weird. And I don't, yeah, I don't know if like it's a awakening that you realize you've never actually done it, but considering it's on me 24-7, I've never once had a dream where I've answered like, or I've been scrolling through a phone. So, yeah, neither I. That's so crazy to think about. It is like it's on me like all the time. Like it's in my pocket right now. Like yeah. it should be in my dreams. You would think that it would be in my dreams. Yeah. But I don't know if that kind of, it just hasn't reached our like subconscious enough. So if it's not in our subconscious and that, it's not going to be in the songs because creativity and dreams are from what I assume or what I believe is kind of pulled in from the same thing. Yeah. It's really interconnected and interwoven. Mm. Yeah. That's so bizarre now i'm just like thinking about my phone a lot i watched the social dilemma the other night too that like movie about have you seen mm. that no i haven't watched it yet i'm quite scared too it's pretty it's pretty scary i've been like thinking about my phone a lot lately so this is very really like relevant with the thoughts i've been having because i watched that cambridge analytica documentary a while back mm. and i was watching a few and it's kind of like like i am 100 percent addicted to my phone my, oh me too my partner will tell you the exact same thing and it's just like at this moment in time i'm not that bothered about like when they say how evil facebook is and i'm like yeah we know but what yeah it, yeah yeah what's new? It, yeah but whenever i install an app i go through like the tick boxes and untick like audio camera and all stuff like yeah. that like i'm slightly aware of it but i'm thinking the social dilemma is going to tip me over the edge yeah, I definitely like know a lot of people that watched it and then like deleted their social media accounts. They were like, well, got to get this out of my life, which I mean, obviously, I don't feel like I'm going to go that far. Also, I sort of need my social medias like to have a career right now during yeah. a pandemic. That's what I was, I was going to say, like, would you be on social media, do you think, if you weren't a musician? It's hard to tell. I feel like... In reality, I probably would be. I have this like part of myself that's like, no, I definitely wouldn't be. I would get rid of it. But like, of course, everyone would say that. I don't know. I definitely do use it to connect with people like that don't live in the same place as mm. me and like to stay in touch with friends and family. And it is a really useful for that. So it's hard to tell. I, I probably would be as much as I want to say that I wouldn't be. Yeah. I have a friend who's completely off social media, but I still send him things because mm. like, just to keep them updated on like some of my music and stuff. But then every now and then I'll just send them something that someone's posted, but it's such a weird thing. And I don't know if I'd be off it if I wasn't a musician because it's such a handy tool, but as a musician, like I've booked tours and like everything through it. So I don't know if Facebook and Twitter eventually implode under their own evilness, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what the alternative would be to booking gigs. Cause I can't imagine going back to like the yellow pages or whatever it was to book gigs back in the day. Yeah, that would be that'd be pretty horrible. It's yeah, it's such a tool, I feel like, especially in like the art industry, which is so mm. funny because like it's the reason why musicians don't really make any money anymore yeah. either, yeah. but we're all so dependent on it for like yeah, touring especially and just like promotion too. Just mm. like I mean, if the internet wasn't around, like I don't know if anyone would listen to my record, for example. You know, it's just like it is such a like a like outlet to you know put put out art mm. yeah, it's really weird my fiddle player he only has a, like a nokia 3210 do you know, like one of the old ones from like the 90s yeah. so it's almost impossible to get hold of him and if yeah. i if i want to send him songs i have to record them put them in an email and then send it and i think he's got a work laptop or something that he'll actually oh. get a hold of that's really funny yeah it's such a strange thing but it's the weird balance between like social media and obviously your 20 so did you grow up more with social media because i think i joined facebook 11 years ago when i was 19 so if it's been around maybe since you were 10 11 maybe yeah about then i definitely like my parents were pretty like i mean so i'm a younger sibling too so Mm -hmm. i don't know i feel like i've talked to a lot of people who have like who are kind of around my age who have older siblings who kind of we can all like relate to the fact that i don't I don't feel like I am among the TikTok generation. Like, I feel like I am, I'm not like I'm, I could have been, but I'm not, if that makes sense, because I kind of just like was raised like how my sister was raised. So like, I didn't have a cell phone until high school and I didn't 
have, you know, and when I did get a phone, like I didn't get an iPhone immediately. I didn't have a smartphone until after high school or like the end of high school, I think is when I got a smartphone and like Facebook. I wasn't really allowed to have Facebook until I was like a teenager. (laughs) It was all around. And like a lot of my peers had it, but I just didn't personally because my parents were kind of like, no, 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 (laughs) not good. We don't want to, we don't want to mess you up. So I just, I wasn't personally using it, but definitely like was around and I definitely think people my age yeah. like were influenced by it. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I always talk to my partner Siobhan about this and I'm like, I'm so glad Facebook and things weren't around when we were in high school. Cause I just hate to see a video of me getting my ass kicked in high, like HD. Yeah. I mean that, that would happen. It was definitely like, it was pretty weird. And when in retrospect, when I think about like how much like social media would like influence people's mm. behaviors especially teenagers who are so like, you know, easily, they're so malleable. Like you can, they'll believe anything. Yeah. There is a reason Facebook, I think you're meant to be 18 to sign up to it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember kids would like lie about their age, you know, when it's like, what year were you born in or whatever they would like put a, you know, whatever year you had to be at the time to have it. Yeah. Do you think like the generation under us, with who have been brought up with social media is such an integral part of their life. Do you think the next like generation of artists are going to like use more, like we talk about like Instagram and, you know, modern like influences and languages and really used in songs at the moment. Do you think it might change to that with this new generation? Like the kind of, not the de-aging of country, because that sounds like we're killing off all the old people, but there's a younger (laughs) like generation of musicians. Do you think it's going to continue to a point where it is, you know, Instagram referenced in bluegrass songs or that tradition is always going to be at the core of it. It's so hard to tell. I definitely think that there you'll, there'll be a bit more of it. I think you'll, I mean, cause people write what they know. And like, I feel like if you grow up, you know, like a, in the tick, if you're like a TikTok kid, I don't, I personally don't have TikTok and I've never really gone down the TikTok hole, but like it seems pretty all consuming from mm. what I've, what I've seen. And like, I also think that, yeah, it's like, I definitely write about what I know. And like, I don't know, like I grew up writing letters to people and like sending mail. And so like, if you're not doing that, like I talk about that in the songs that I write, you know, like talk about writing people and, you know, maybe that will become like texting people in, you know, the future of bluegrass and country music. But it's hard to know because it's kind of like you say too, like there is this very like important core of the traditional values that come with it. But yeah, that's a that's a tough question. I feel like it will evolve into a more modern thing. Yeah, I am excited to see the next like five or six years of it to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah but, it's gonna be it's gonna be wild. Yeah. But with going back to this was a massive social media tension. Sorry, but going yeah, no, back. That's to, okay. yeah, but going back to just like leaving with the writing and stuff. Obviously, you put so much thought into it. Did you put an like any thought or how much thought did you put into the track list and in the order of the album? Mm, yeah, we put definitely like, like we thought about, it. I remember we had had the whole record mixed and mastered. And then by the time, you know, it was, or it was all mixed and it we were going into mastering and then um, Randy who mastered the record kind of messaged me being like, okay, we need the track order now. And then I remember being like, Oh God, I like really have to think about this because I can't just like, you know, throw them in any old order. Like it has to be meaningful. So I remember calling uh, Patrick who produced the record and we like had, I think like a four hour long conversation (laughs) about the track order because like, not only do you want it to sort of have some semblance of a story, but you also, you know, want it to like be stimulating still, Mm. like, you know, like just from like a more like technical standpoint, like if you're, you know, play like a really peppy song and then like, really slow song that aren't necessarily cohesive like you'll lose people and so you want to like mm. i guess like i'm sure you can yeah. relate to it, but like you you want it to like keep your attention the whole time and i mean i feel like nowadays it's sort of silly because not that many people buy cds anymore or really list i mean i guess vinyls like making a comeback but um yeah it's like funny because you like put so much thought into the track order and then Spotify just like shuffles your music or Apple music just like shuffles it or people don't even buy whole albums. They just download the songs they like. Yeah. We definitely put a lot of thought into it. 
and the people who buy the CDs can, you know, mm. experience it, I guess. Yeah, like, I think the biggest giveaway that Spotify don't give a shit about, like, albums is they put Shuffle Play as the first choice. That's so stupid. Like, yeah. I have this awful tick of, if I've been listening to an album since I was a kid, some, like, they'll put on the album, someone will hit Shuffle Play, and I'll just go over and stop it. And yeah, you have to play from track one or you want playing this record. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I also find too, like, I don't know if you're this way, but like, if there's a record that I've yeah, been listening to for a really long time, or, like, I know what the track order is, yeah. like, after a song starts, or stops, sorry, if I don't hear like the next song, it's like, I predict it before it happens. <laughs> I'm like waiting for the next mm. track to start. And then if it's not the right track, I'm like, something's horribly wrong right now. <laughs> like, What is going on? Yeah, no, definitely. And with Spotify, I saw before the album, you brought out four singles. I can't remember the songs off, like, off the top of my head, but was there a choice between like the first release and the, like, you know, in between like for the fourth release and stuff? What was your thought process behind that? Yeah, we like, I kind of like my manager and I kind of like went and attacked that, those ideas together. And I think so the first single that released was broke when I realized and then we released the hand of your raising then we released all I gave to you and then we released not to blame and um I remember for releasing like picking the first one to release it's partly just because it's like one of my favorite mm. tracks off the record and I was like I want to share it um but I was kind of trying to like I wanted to release something that did a like a good job kind of capturing the whole essence of the album mm. Because we kind of talk like that the album sort of has like three tastes to it, if you will. There's like the kind of like more bluegrassy side of it. And then there's the more country side of it. And then there's like this kind of like songwritery, you know, mm. vibe on the album too. And um, I kind of wanted to like release a single that for like each sound so that people oh, could cool. get a taste of kind mm. of like what it was going to be like. So Broke When I Realized, I felt like did a really good job of capturing like kind of the country quality the album and then the hand of your raising had this kind of more like songwritery like folksy maybe slightly more modern quality to it and then you know all i gave to you is pretty bluegrassy and then not to blame is just like really straight ahead country so mm. that was kind of like the thought behind it was like making sure that we like gave everyone a little taste of everything that it had to offer yeah no, that's so cool and it's such it's good to hear how much thought goes into because i know obviously spotify like the CEO brought out that comments about, you know, if musicians just put out more songs, you know, it'd be better for them. And it is like, it is smart to like bring out those four songs to, you know, kind of get that, not necessarily traction, but to showcase what the album's going to be like. Yeah. But it's such a hard like line to toe. And I think you guys did it really well with the albums, like teaser and like have those different tastes. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely like you don't want to give away too much. Like you don't want to put out the best song on the record because then when the record comes out, you don't want people to like go and listen to it and be like, well, I already heard all the good stuff, like not going to listen to this anymore. So it is definitely like a fine line of like how much you give away and in like what capacity do you share it. Yeah. I saw on your link tree that there's a vinyl form to fill out to express interest and stuff. Have you had much interest? Yeah, we've had a lot of interest. We actually have just gone ahead and ordered the vinyl. So it's being made now, which is amazing. I'm definitely going to have to grab a copy off you for that. Yeah, definitely. On my band camp, I think it's up there. I think you can pre-order it. Oh, brilliant. I'll drop a link in the description of this and I'll definitely be ordering one myself. But do you think, like, do you listen to vinyl? Like, do you collect records and things? Yeah, I do. We have a record player and I like, I, well, I kind of adopted my dad's vinyl collection too. So I have like, a, I have a pretty big vinyl collection. And then one thing that I like struggle with is like, it's really hard to travel with, mm. or like, I'm always afraid I'm going to get it and then break it. And I find most of the best records when I'm like on the road. And so if I'm just like driving, I'll definitely like buy a lot of records, but flying, I find it really sad because you, it's like hard to fly with and I'm always afraid of breaking it. So I've kind of like slowed down in my collecting vinyl and I'll really only buy records if they like really speak to me or like, I'm like, I must have this. I used to be much more just kind of like, whoa, I want this yeah. one and I want this one. But now my collection's pretty big. So I've kind of slowed down a little bit. Oh, cool. What have, what have been like your recent uh, gets? Mm, well, I got, I found like, so we, 
um, there's like this thrift store by our house called Music City Thrift um, here in Nashville. And there's just like this big bin of old vinyl. And so we found some like really good old bluegrass records. We found one that was just like a kind of like collection of like traditional old bluegrass music. And it had a lot of stuff from like the Stanley Brothers and like Doc Watson and Bill Monroe on it. And so that one's been really fun. And then we got it like an old Jimmy Martin record. And then we also got an old Ray Charles. We got one of the, have you listened to like the modern sounds in country and Western music, Ray Charles? No. Record before? really cool he has this record where he's just like playing all these like big band arrangements of like country music cool it's really awesome yeah. and so i have one of those and it's wow. those are kind of like my three most recent like favorite records oh, so I to get that. i've got him um, the johnny castro pressing where it's like johnny and ray i can't remember what song they're singing it might be is it ring of fire blast mm-hmm. like, or ray charles after pick up that yeah i haven't listened to that but i'll have to yeah. no like um yeah, you guys have it in the States, like Record Store Day? No, I don't know if we have Record Store Day. So, like for all like independent stores, it's over in the UK, I think. Like they all like release exclusive things on certain oh. days. So um, I've picked up a few things like every year, like every year without fail, like Johnny Cash's estate will repress or re-release mm. something because I got the False and Prison Blues box yeah, yeah. and it's like all the unreleased tracks from like the different recordings oh that's so awesome but they do like really interesting things like they released this year which i managed to get was um a hank williams march of dimes like Whoa. seven inch or a ten inch and it's his like when he was playing on some radio station for some charity and that was wow. interesting so there's some good finds of that but i had to slow down on him yeah picking up records because it is just like you can never ever stop no, and like once you accumulate so many, you're like, where do I put them all? Yeah. <laughs> like I just have too many. Like I can't do anything with them. Yeah, I always try. Now I try and make a point of getting like the new releases, so I'll get like your record on vinyl. I'll try and pick up like new stuff on yeah. that, and then it's I try not to get as many back, like older records, unless they're just like super rare to get hold of. All they're absolutely incredible. Like I've got a load of Christophson ones. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's definitely like. It's also like the best way to support an artist is mm. to like buy their vinyl because they're like usually profiting the most off of it. And also it's like so expensive to press. Yeah. It like if you press a bunch of it, you want to sell it all. <laughs> yeah. At the moment I've got um, just the side of my computer. I've got like six boxes of vinyl that oh, obviously awesome. if I'd be touring, they'd be sold. But at the moment my cat is currently sat on the top of it and they've been using it to oh. sleep on for the last few years. <laughs> That's so sweet yeah so if people buy it it's like a catch-22 buy it and support me but if you do buy it my cat won't have a bed to sleep on yeah exactly (laughs) but with like your career and stuff the really like one of the interesting things about yourself is you have this team to support your music and stuff when did you kind of implement that and what, what level did you think like i need to start getting support to push my career further I think that I started realizing that like kind of two or three years ago, I remember going to Folk Alliance and like playing all these showcases and kind of feeling like a fish out of water or something. Mm. I was like, oh my God, there's so many people that are trying to do the exact same thing that I'm trying to do. Like, how do you, I felt like I was kind of screaming into the void or something. Mm. I was like, how do I have a voice in this industry? And then I kind of realized that like everyone that was doing really well had a great team, you know, like they, there was like just, having a manager is like a game changer mm. you have someone to do like the administ- administrative stuff for you and then you can focus more on like the actual creating of the art mm. so I think like about two years ago I kind of like started realizing that I wanted to have a team of people helping me and that it's like worth it um mm. and then yeah and then I slowly like picked up a manager and a publicist and like you know a distributor and everything oh cool and did you approach them initially or was it during these showcases and things you managed to like find each other yeah, it was kind of the latter. I feel like it was a lot of being like, oh, I want to work with you and I want to work with you. So like, let's work together, which oh. is nice. And then my manager also had like a lot of connections for like publicity people and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So she did like a lot of the kind of just like dirty work of emailing people and then, you know, coming together. Oh, amazing. It's so like interesting. I think it's a really strong thing that not necessarily is overlooked in the UK, but I don't think we have that type of person with that connections and i think mm-hmm. once you tour in the states there's that kind of wealth of knowledge 
opens up to you and I, it's really cool to like I've talked like Charles Wesley Godwin and you know talking yeah. about like his team and things and it's such a good thing to see like artists like yourself who have that talent get that level of support mm. yeah it definitely feels like it feels like if I didn't have that kind of help you know like I don't know if I don't my release wouldn't have been anything close to what it was mm. because like yeah if you don't have the connections you don't have the connections yeah. and the, like the only way you build them is by just doing it but if you're trying to kind of like come out of the gate like ready to go rearing to go like yeah it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been the same if i didn't have my manager yeah and over in the uk i don't know if it's the same over there there's so many like jackals who are like trying to take an upfront fee to start managing you but they have like zero connections and i know because i self-release my own album and you know it's just me and a computer and i was emailing people and i was getting stuff back where it was like we'll review it if you pay this amount or we'll do this if it's like x amount and it was just like it's a really hard place to navigate if you're just an independent artist like on your own yeah i definitely like i've I've experienced that like kind of before i had a great team i I would have people kind of being like i'll manage you if you pay me this much money or like i'm i can make you a star or whatever and i'm like no you can't like you are just like an old man that like lives in his mom's basement like you cannot make me a star like what are you talking about you know and i think that people just like they see like young especially i feel like with younger artists they see this kind of like almost like naive like fresh wide-eyed you know artist and they're like oh I can like feed off of you like I can use you to like fuel whatever I'm trying to do but they don't actually care about your art or like what you're trying to do they just want to make money off of you no it's it's such a pain and with um just like leaving what are your plans in the future obviously touring's kind of at a dead end at the moment is there any sign your end of being able to do tours or even just solo shows yeah there's like a little bit of stuff in the works um i'm going back to canada in a few i guess actually just in just over a week um just i have like some stuff going on there and i'm actually going in to do some more recording which is like really exciting um and covid's not like i mean it's getting worse but where i'm going in canada there's like very really low covid numbers Mm. and so i'm actually going to be playing some shows which is kind of crazy i think they're all like they're all very safe and distant and outside and everything and it's like not the same you know as like playing a big show in a sweaty room where everyone's like yeah. bumping shoulders but yeah i've got like some little things kind of in the works and, I, and it's looking like i mean it's hard to know what's going to happen but it's seeming like like next fall touring some some degree of touring might be able to happen but. cool and with like tours do you do like mainly solo shows or is it with your band as well or a duo or how do you predominantly tour right now it's mostly with a full band i used to do a lot more just like solo stuff and then kind of as i've like crafted my sound i've been pretty like sure about wanting to tour with a mm. band mostly just because i feel like sometimes like yeah touring solo can be pretty gut-wrenching you know you're just like just you and your guitar like trying to make people listen to you but you know if you play like a bad show with a band or something you can all kind of like commiserate over (laughs) it together and at least just like have fun playing the music so i try to tour with a band mostly these days awesome and with the recording will that be towards a new record in the future yeah so it's kind of looking like well, I mean, we want to like release some singles in mm. the next little bit, just because you know, like the way the industry works, you gotta <laughs> always be pumping out the music, apparently, which is just ridiculous. But um, yeah, so we've got some like singles, but I'm also really excited about that because I've um, I've been writing a fair bit with all of this downtime, so I have like a lot of new stuff that, and it's so funny because like it's the classic curse, like as soon as you put out a record then you write up all you write a bunch of new stuff and then you just like want to play all your new stuff but you have to like be promoting your record and like which is amazing obviously but um yeah singles for some new stuff and then kind of thinking about making another record next fall so awesome and what's like the process with the new stuff because you were sat on like the just like leaving songs for up to three years with the new stuff has there been a i want to say this or is there like I want to do something completely different to just like leaving. Is there something you've got kind of like your mind set on for the new songs? I definitely think that like with my newer stuff, it's like very similar in this. It's like coming from the same place you could say, Mm. but I I feel like I want to like maybe 
take some more risks and just like I feel like I put out a record and it's like very like straight ahead in some ways like it's very it's cohesive and it's like accessible and then I I'm kind of like excited to like I don't know I'd love to like bring in some like pedal steels and like mm. drums you know like make it a little more just like a little more out there if you will but I feel like I needed to and I've always loved that but I I felt like for my first record I was like I just got to make this like really accessible mm. you know oh, and cool. then take maybe more risks later so you know that's such an interesting thing is there anyone like contemporary that you've been listening to that like has inspired that kind of change because I know like the big one at the moment was Stagel Simpson brought out a bluegrass album straight yeah. after he did that like anime prog rock psychedelic thing has there anyone been like you've been like had on repeat lately yeah I've I mean I've been listening to Coulter Wall's new record a lot lately because I think one he's like got the Canada Western Canada connection and that always feels like special but also I think it's cool that records just like it surprised me when he mm. put it out because it's it's almost like the opposite of what I'm talking about doing where it's like going from like the, a lot of that record of his is like really stripped down and like it just sounds like it's just like him in a room with the mic and a guitar you know and that was kind of inspiring me to like almost do the opposite like go full out on the next one mm. and then also like other Canada people too like are you familiar with Casey and Clayton's music? I've heard of them, but I've not listened to them. They're super cool. They're kind of doing that like whole, like, kind of, it's like, I feel like it's a trend, like the kind of cosmic country thing right now where they're sort of playing like a little bit like psychedelic mm. country vibes, which I think is really cool. And they're also, you know, like from Saskatchewan and Canada and they're great. I'm trying to think of other people. I've been listening to Sturgill's record. Um, I've also just been listening to like a lot of old honky tonk music <laughs> these days. And I'm always like, that makes me just want to put drums and steel on my next <laughs> yeah. record so bad. I'm like, oh, I want the drums. So, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm the same because on my record, like I did an EP that was kind of like just guitar and vocals. And I did it stripped back and did like one take on each song. And this album, I had like fiddle and pedal steel and stuff. And the next one, I do want to add drums because it was a lot of people were saying, what I got one review that was kind of good but it was also they said they imagined harmonies drums and banjo and i was like well mm. that's not really my fault that you imagined a whole different record yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like that's your fault like, yeah. like i didn't imagine it like that but it was a really weird review for me to just be like i imagined it being better <laughs> like, yeah that is really strange <laughs> i find sometimes like reviews are so funny they'll say things and you'll be like that's that's definitely a you problem like <laughs> this is this is like not that's not on the record like yeah, yeah that's so weird yeah, is i definitely want to get like that drums like just like the drums behind it and that like um the drum is completely gone out of my head the snare drum sorry yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah I totally. tell i'm not a drummer <laughs> i'm neither am i <laughs> but so you've got like the record like you're going to the studio to record and so is there any like anything on the horizon for a european or a uk tour yeah, I actually, um, this is like a sort of another project that I'm a part of this, but more of a recent thing, but um, I kind of do a duo project on the side um, with this great fiddle player mm. named Libby Whitenauer. And um, yeah, we've been kind of like working up a, a duo set of like songs we've written together and also just like a lot of like classic country songs. And then she's a really, really great old time fiddle player. So we do old time thing. And so we've been kind of talking about like as a duo coming like coming over and doing some like UK stuff, maybe spend some time in Scotland. And so, yeah, that's definitely like in the works. And then I'm thinking, well, if we're going to do that, I might as well do some Bella White stuff over there too. So yeah, nothing's like booked or anything, um, but it's definitely on my mind. Yeah. No, that's incredible. And we've been talking for an hour, so I don't want to take up too much of your day. Well, oh. just with like, with this record, do you think, like how it's been received and like your approach to it. Do you think it's been received in the way that you intended the songs to be? Have you seen like, obviously writing these songs is so personal. Has, have they hit certain people the way that you wanted them to? Yeah, I think so. Which feels really special. I've gotten a lot of messages from people kind of like sharing their experiences with my songs and like how they've, you know, interpreted the stories or how it's made them feel. And it's always like, Sometimes like little things people will say will surprise me mm. and I'll be like, oh, like that's not actually what I intended 
but if that's your experience with it, like I'm really glad that it made mm. you feel that way. Mm. Um, so yeah, I feel like it's it's been heard in the way that I've wanted it to be, which is good. Yeah. Good. So recording and tour, is there anything else you've got in the works for, you know, the arse end of 2020, 21, 22? Yeah, I mean, just mostly that recording, touring, hopefully, you know, doing just making making more music. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's kind of hard to like, plan too much too far out right now just because yeah. who knows what's going to happen like next week especially down here with the election and everything it's just kind of like yeah, do you know what it's hard because i'm british like we hear about it constantly with the election and things but it is kind of like hitting home a bit more than it is like next week like i was on him do you know adobe and teardrops mm, i don't think so and they do a like a radio show with like country music and stuff i'll email you yeah, yeah, I do. We should definitely send some things over. But um, they would we like we got quite into the election. I was on the, like co-host in their radio show this week, mm. and it's such a scary and weird time. But you know, that's a whole other podcast. I think. Yeah, seriously, no, it is crazy. It's like it's in like a few days, mm. and it's it, yeah, that's terrifying. I'm yeah. going back to Canada. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like bye. But yeah. as as a Canadian in America, do you feel that tension kind of like removed? from like you know your personal like viewpoint like even it's like you see it as from like a different perspective as what's actually happening around you I think I slightly do I think as I'm down here longer it starts to become a little bit more real just because I like plan on living here for Mm -hmm. a while so it's like definitely going to be a part of my life but I do think that like I always just have this option of leaving and (laughs) so you know that kind of like makes it maybe a little easier for me to process what's happening mm. is like I'm just like or not even easier to process what's happening because I'm not processing anything <laughs> I'm just like what is going on right now but I think that it makes it easier for me to like compartmentalize and like disconnect from it a little mm. bit in a way that feels like better for my like mental health mm. and like as a songwriter have you ever been inspired or wanted to write from like a political standpoint or one of those things is that entered into your head at the like at all yeah it has and i feel like i i feel like there's a lot of like really great songwriters that are doing that Mm. i just don't think i would do it as well as they do so it's the kind of thing where i'm like if i'm gonna do this it needs to be like very thoughtful and like Mm. i feel like and i feel like i would need to like put a lot of time and thought into it and i just feel like where i'm at right now i'm like not as informed as some of the people that are doing it especially Mm. like with the american state of the world like i keep up with the politics and i like try and be aware of what's going on but like i don't have that intrinsic knowledge that Mm. i feel like a lot of these people that are doing that right now have and so i feel like it would almost be like it it wouldn't be super authentic if i Mm. were to do it right now at least maybe in the future but i've thought about it but it's something that i would need to like approach very carefully yeah no i've got one that was like i went at it from like this is my core belief i've written this whole thing i did research and stuff on it because i knew if i played it and someone pulled me up on it i'd be able to like argue the toss yeah it. that's really important yeah but I'd, i've never just like shot from the hip with a political song or try to do something like that it's definitely one that you need to approach not just from like a songwriting point of view but from like a news point of view as well which is a whole other level of songwriting that just takes it out of you yeah seriously and that's the thing too like i appreciate what you said about like how you like did research and stuff because i feel like for me it's like if i tried to write like a really politically charged song right now and then someone who had like opposing beliefs to me like came up after a show and tried to argue with me about it i would just be like i don't know like i don't know what to say so and i think it's important that you can like back up what you're believing in yeah no cool well we've been chatting for an hour and obviously i don't want to eat up too much today so i'll let you go but okay, yeah. thanks so much for chatting with us, Bella, and I hope to see you in the UK soon. And yeah, we have too. to sit down again soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And that is episode 19 of Into the Van, Into the Bag. I don't know how often I'm going to keep saying Into the Van, Into the Bag, but we're 19 episodes in and it looks like there's no signs of slowing down. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please go check out Bella White and her record, Just Like Leaving. Go check out me with Mike West in The Next Life. Go listen to Rogue Country and Rogue Radio and go just support the artists that you give a shit about because it will always mean the world to them. Till next time, guys. Peace.